Well, 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 friends, what's good? It's your boys, Sanchez and Cedric, and I just had to confess to Cedric that I had never seen Fight Club, and uh, <laughs> and we needed to press record because we were already starting a conversation and it was going in a great direction. It's true. But, um, you know, thank you guys for listening and subscribing and, and following us, and uh, man, we got a good one today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a topic that I know for me personally is... Um, it's, it's it's pretty it's pretty meaningful. Uh, it's it's um, it's going to deal with. I know a lot of my influence uh, theologically and personally over the last ten years. Yeah, the, and, the things that influenced you. Oh, uh, the things that influenced me. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know my introduction into um, a more intellectual approach when it comes to theology, and uh, yeah. So we're we're going to talk about. The new podcast that Christianity Today put out. Burning up the charts. On uh, the, the rise and the fall of Mars Hill. Hill. With Mark Driscoll being at the center. So, As the subject matter, not the host, just to be clear. Yes, subject matter, <laughs> not the host. And uh, I am, admittedly, I, I started this podcast the other day. And I am, uh, what did I say, four episodes? I, I just finished, I'm like nine minutes left in the fourth episode and, and intend to finish it probably within the next day or two. But you said you've, you've listened to all of it. Yeah, I, I, I forget what day it was I started listening to it. It might have been Friday. But I basically listened to the first four and a half episodes in one day. Mm. And then I listened to the rest of the fifth um, and then, of course, the sixth episode came out earlier this week. Yeah. So I burned right through that thing, which is funny because initially I resisted listening to it. I just really didn't want to listen to it. There's so much commentary going on. I'm just like, this is going to be not traumatizing or triggering, but just almost like a I told you so listening. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. There are elements of it that I was like, yeah, you know, this was what we were saying in 2018, 2017. Uh, well, and for me, I was saying it while at the beginning of my youth ministry, pastoral ministry career, because, you know, Mars Hill started in what, 1997, I think they said? 97. Somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. Um, I started volunteering in church youth group in the fall of 99, and I had my first full-time job as a middle school youth pastor in 2004. In fact, August 3rd was the 17-year anniversary of me moving to Charlotte to start uh, my career. So yeah, yesterday was the 17-year anniversary of moving to Charlotte. So it was your 17-year anniversary living mm-hmm. in Charlotte. What else? Yeah, so I just, I can remember very early on in my ministry career just looking at the shape of church culture. Yeah. And just having these uh, recognition that there is a lot of things that I was seeing that I just didn't want to become that. Like, I can remember going to... Uh, um, Oh, Catalyst Conference. Catalyst, yeah. Yep, down there in Atlanta. Because my college suite mate was one of the creatives that actually planned it, organized it. Okay. And then he rotated off, started doing stuff with Gabe Lyons, and then came back to start doing Catalyst. I don't know if he still does it. He does plywood people now. Okay. Um, But all that being said, I can remember 
walking through the Gwinnett Center conference yeah. center thingy yeah. arena, whatever. And I was walking with uh, Paul Allen. Shout out to Paul Allen because uh, he's mm-hmm. a big part of the reason why I'm even in Charlotte to begin with. Um, we're walking through there and like basically throwing shade under our breath. Oh, of course. At how there was like four or five different types of pastors mm-hmm. like that all dressed the same. What year was this? This would would have been 2004. Okay, I was in high school. Yeah. yeah. So like there was there was the, <clears throat> the 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 older youth pastor who always wore like cargo khakis with some kind of like <laughs> hiking shoes still, where they were like morels. Oh yeah, they're yeah. still around. Uh, would wear uh-huh. morels with a Columbia uh-huh. button-up shirt uh-huh. and always had on either a fleece uh-huh. or like a, a sleeveless vest yeah. fleece. Yeah. But they 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 dressed the same yeah. like all the time, no matter uh-huh. where they were. Probably worked at the same kind of church. Right. But then you had the 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 quote midlife crisis guy spiked hair yes spiked <laughs> hair right with sometimes it have the the guy Ferreira is you know ble- bleached uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, tips thing uh-huh. and they had the soul patch uh-huh. right with the buckle jeans right with the with the buckle yes the buckle <laughs> jeans and the, and the boots but then always like the nice button up shirt with like multiple different color stripes. Yeah. Right? But they yeah. would always they never would uh-huh. button the the, uh-huh. the sleeve. They would uh-huh. always like have the the sleeve at the end uh-huh. at the wrist unbuttoned and then flipped up uh-huh. to give uh-huh. it a little give it a little flare. And mind you, this is when clothes were baggier. Oh, yes. Not not as Now they know, weren't the, yeah, the, we thing. didn't get the influx of all the skinny jean hipsters yeah. yet. Yeah, that was my generation. Right, that was yeah. your generation, uh-huh. which I was still around for just yeah. so you guys yeah. don't get it twisted that I'm that old. But uh <laughs> yeah, but then you had your 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 guys who were on like the cusp of Gen X, like they were on the tail end of Gen X, but basically we hadn't named it yet, but yeah. they were also Quasi-millennials. Uh, Quasi-millennials. So, like, Ferdick. Stephen Ferdick right. would be an example of that. Right. And they... Judas Smith. Judas Smith would be another mm-hmm. one. So, they were the guys that, you know, they were wearing... Oh, gosh. It could have been anything from, like, tail end Abercrombie. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or Hollister. even Express, Hollister. Express, Express, Express was a big one right. for me. Yeah, that was right. my, that was my and, thing. And, um... They 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 were already just a tiny bit edgier. Uh-huh. They they it was almost like the midlife crisis guys were poorly copying copying those the, guys the young high school college right uh, young adult guys. right yep. and I just remember walking around throwing shade at all these people pointing out how you had twenty thousand people there and they looked like the same five people yeah and then you had me uh-huh. this young black pastor who i just didn't fit into any Any of of those types Uh Uh like i had clothes that were basically a byproduct of i still fit in all the clothes that i had gotten while working at american eagle gap and uh um um, abercrombie and fitch from like 97 to 2000 yeah i still had a lot of those yeah 
clothes because I hadn't been in, in, you know, ministry long enough, making enough money to totally update my wardrobe. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Yep, are you ever? Standpoint? <laughs> I mean, well, well I, hey, look, someplace. I ain't going to front. You know, the church I was at for 10 years, they took very good care of us. Yeah. So, wow. plus, you know, my, 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 my wife, you know, she's the breadwinner of the household. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you have this movement of catalysts. So Cedric was basically in real time living it. And then I came in the remnants of that, of the machine already, like, being established. Well, yes. Because I think my, my introduction to Catalyst might have been 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, you know, again, I, I was, you know, we were talking about this earlier off, off uh, mic, but, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a very pretty much black Pentecostal, non-denominational, multicultural environment. So for those of you who think like the, the quote unquote, the church is the same. Like it, it's just not like there are different sects of the church and religion and faith. Um, and they do not all intersect, right. you know? And so for me, when I moved to Charlotte and started, you know, playing at a church here in Charlotte in 2011, um, they were more in the sphere of the catalyst type of the mm-hmm. Driscoll's, the Andy Stanley's, the Louis Giglio's and, uh, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, and all of these mm-hmm. folks that are mentioned in this podcast. And so I was learning a new vocabulary. I was learning a, a completely different language. I was uh, um, the midlife crisis guys. That, you know, I was kind of dressing like that already because I was in a band and we toured and, you know, we had this edgier look. Um, but I remember when I was being told, you know, that theologically I needed to think different. Lee, mm. uh, and I was being challenged. Uh, a lot of folks pointed me to uh, a couple of guys. Uh, Mark Driscoll being one. Uh, I was already I was already captivated by Judas Smith because he was younger, as years had more swag, and was def- definitely more relevant. And I had actually like went to his church and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Driscoll, uh, Andy Stanley, yep. uh, Tim Keller. Um, John Calvin, or John Calvin, same person, John Piper. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Both really smart with terribly, tragically problematic views. Yes, yes. Um, (laughs) Louis Giglio, uh, you know, Perry Noble was from my hometown, which everybody hated because he was also like Driscoll um, in in a lot of ways, very provocative, Mm -hmm. midlife crisis guy, and... Just a, a, a narcissistic. Wouldn't, wouldn't leave when he needed to. Yeah, very narcissistic. And some things just follow you to your next church that you plan. But I digress. Um, so, so anyways, I was in this, in this reform. Well, not, I, that's not reform, but I was in this bubble. And then from there, as you see in the podcast, you know, it starts to slip into this uh, reform theology, Calvinistic yeah. theology, which is funny to hear like how it's, in the same pattern, like a lot of my youth kids are going down that same vein where they went away from the faith and then came back and now they're reform and stuff. And so, and then the natural progression from reform theology, because that is God's theology and that is the right theology, is to do what? <laughs> to become an apologist. So, and so then we get to, let me, let me just learn how to appease my ego by disproving everything that you believe that, as you mentioned, Questions, we're going to answer these questions that cu- culture is not asking at yeah, all. Like, it, it, if anything, it's what Christians are asking, uh, but, it, but it's not at all what well, culture is Gosh, asking. I wouldn't even say, well, you know what? No, sustained, yes. There are still a lot of Christians who were asking those questions, but uh, 
Because they were told to skip the philosophy class in college. But the freshman year. not only that, but because they were given a reading of the Bible that didn't make space for any other yep. readings within yep. the realm of Christian thought yep. Yep. of Scripture. Yep. And so some of those things that they were taught of how to understand or interpret right. the Scriptures brought up the same kind of questions, which then we created this whole this whole like troubleshooting department called right. apologetics where we would answer the questions that kids who were growing up in church were asking right um in these christian expressions that didn't teach church history didn't teach the different theological perspectives the agreements the disagreements right. just taught like this is the way it is and that's it and anyone else who reads it Do differently say, isn't being faithful yeah. to scripture yeah. Yeah. and thus by extension not being faithful to christ yeah so then they took it and they said, well, these are the questions. You know, it's funny as I'm saying this, and we're going to get to this later in a different episode. It's not all unlike what's going on with CRT, Facts. right? Facts. Yep. And, and yep. which is really about anti-racism. But then say, these are the questions that the quote world yep. is asking. Uh-huh. And I mean, I said this earlier to you, but. Coming up as a student, going to conferences, going to apologetics classes, trainings, seminar sessions, being a youth intern and then a youth pastor and sitting through all these. But then at the same time, being in places and spaces where I had regular interactions with people who were not Christians, I started to realize they're not asking any of these questions that I've been trained to answer. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's that's been the problem. So so anyways, all that to say is that's the setup for how impactful figures like Mark Driscoll was on the f- spiritual formation right. uh, of you and I. Like this podcast, like token confession wouldn't <laughs> exist if it wasn't for us having that, that being influenced by that world well, I, in general. I wouldn't use influence for me. I would say I influence was in. You're right. You're right. I was. I was in the orbit. Okay. Fair. Right. Yeah, of yeah. these things happening and going on, and looking at them and realizing that what they were going for, either it wasn't me at my core. Because one of the things I learned early on in ministry is that you minister out of who you are. Right. And so if you're this narcissistic, needing to be the center of attention kind of person, you're going to either be Mark Driscoll or you're going to um, you're going to uh, try to model what Mark Driscoll was doing. Yeah. So Mark Driscoll was just doing something that many other people had done before. He just perfected it for this time, but there was other people, to your point, Perry Noble, doing the same thing. Yeah, and they they perfected it by right. being um, mark. Give them credit, marketing geniuses of of uh, using profanity from the pulpit, <laughs> uh, talking about masculinity in right. a way that engaged scripture and yeah. the. Uh, yeah, it's still fire, hell, and brimstone. Right, which teaching. Right, right. which I'm, I'm not going to sit here in front as if I've never said profanity from the pulpit. But I don't think I have. I, well, yeah, I have. I, I was talking about um, God's will. Yeah, and um, 
uh, specifically Jeremiah 29, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, blah, 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 and how we take that scripture totally out of context. And the idea that we are basically trying to live a drop pin life. Because, you know, when you pull up your maps on your iPhone and, you know, you put the, you got the drop pin for where you're at, you got the drop pin for where you want to go. Yep. If you set any stops along the way, uh, you treat life and in, in spirituality in relationship with God of, of just getting from one drop pin to the next. Mm. And what I said was, is what difference does it make if you hit all the markers? If right. you marry the right person, go to the right school, get the right job, all this stuff, what difference does it make if you're an asshole? Yeah. So I, I only did it to basically, one, I was using the word in the context. Yeah. Number two, I, I'm not going to lie, I was going to you know try to make people laugh, which everyone except for my wife laughed. She's like, you could at least warn me. Did you plan to do that? I'm like, yes, I did. She's like, you could have at least warned me. But it wasn't this kind of thing. Like, it's like, hey, this will help the church pod get more hits. Right. So let's make a regular habit right. of doing this yeah. so we can get hits. Right. <clears throat> Let me be crude. Right. Let me be homophobic, misogynistic. Right. While the focus of my message is to get men to love their wives better. <laughs> but you know again but, in that context yeah. in that context and obviously we don't agree with them but that was loving your wife yeah and one of the people that they interviewed which shout out to them for getting some of the brilliant women and theological minds that they got and uh -huh. and and i would even venture as far as to say who are kind of maybe divergent from what the host himself actually may think or believe yeah. or believe um but Right. One of the things they said is is by going that route of trying to empower the men in that way, women were still invisible, whether they were getting abused right. whether, or they were being, quote, protected and taken care of. They were still had no autonomy right. over their selves. Right. So but and, and all that to say, like I was in the orbit of those kind of ideas of these these uh, complementarian kind of views, which I'm sitting there thinking, that's not the household I was raised in. Nope. My parents have been married now darn near 50 years. Like that's, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you guys can sit here and say that that's God's way, but God seems to be blessing the socks off of my, my, the household yeah. I grew up in. Yeah. I don't believe for one second that that's actually, like I hear the arguments that you're you making and the scripture you're using, but to me, the math ain't mathing. Yeah. So I just quietly kept that to myself. Two plus two equals five. Right. So I was in the orbit of those ideas, which led me to recognize that in a lot of ways, I didn't, I didn't fit. Yeah. And a lot of those had to do with also being black yeah. in a white evangelical world. Yeah, yeah, totally spot on, totally spot on. And, and, and I think, you know, again, I came to my awakening. Um, I want to I say it was probably definitely around two, 2015. Mm -hmm. um, I had transitioned from one campus to another. Um, <clears throat> at the time, you know, newly married, new community, still adjusting and got, you know, dealing with, you know, Trayvon and, and then, you know, everything to follow, you know, post that and then that awakening and going to seminary for one semester and be like, oh man, they're trying to colonize me. 
Love. I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> they're trying to colonize me, and then, uh, and no, then, you had already gotten into the house. Now they're trying to lobotomize you, like oh, get yeah. out. Yeah, man. And, <laughs> and I literally, so I stopped going, and then I took like a semester off, and then I ended up going to uh, one of my friends' uh, worship school. Shout out to ten thousand fathers and mothers. They just rebranded because mm. they realized how patriarchal their name sounded initially, and so. Shout out to them, and um, they really helped me. Uh, mm. Really helped me deconstruct from all of that, and okay. really helped me to dive into uh, other writers and and that sort of thing. And so, um, so when I went back to you know Gordon Conwell, I went with a, a, a new awakening, right. you know, because I was more sure of who I who I was becoming. I, right. I was confident in that process and that journey, and so. Um, but but all that to say is, man, like the aftermath of what, you know, Driscoll did, the, the church trauma, like th- this is, um, I, I feel like church trauma has been around for hundreds of years, undeniably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, the Reformation doesn't happen in 1517 if church trauma wasn't already going on. Facts, <laughs> facts. And so we have this, 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 Reformation to combat the church trauma while still combating. <laughs> Anyways, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it, while while we we're we're avoiding church trauma, but we're gonna re-traumatize people in the process. Okay, so <laughs> I don't want to get into the nuances of the Reformation. However, it, that was me just throwing up my hands. Those of you who can't see, <laughs> and just kind of exasperation. Yeah, yeah, and so um, so for me to see church trauma becoming a serious issue that. I think, you know, I would say millennials are having to deal with the, uh, well, I think everybody, but I think millennials are calling it out for what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I would say some Gen Xers are definitely on that train of calling out the trauma and the pain for what it is. And um, yeah, because you you could hear it in, in the folks that they interview. You could definitely hear the disappointment because you're, you're bought into this culture. Right. Well, it's, and it's, it wasn't all bad in, 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 when, it, when it comes to intentions, per se. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things where, and I know there's been some debate in social media about this, where I don't think the podcast is looking at Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll as an isolated event, right. an anomaly. I think they're looking at them and him as a case study of what was a larger problem in the church, both big churches and small churches. But a lot of those other places did not have the same kind of impact and influence. Because, I mean, the first time I heard of Mark Driscoll, um, I had an intern who came, and, like, he just ate Mark Driscoll up. He admitted he was a little... He gave Fiery, you the disclaimer. <laughs> right, he gave the disclaimer that all the Mark Driscoll fans would give. Uh-huh. But he was like, man, but he's so smart and his preaching. And and I'm just sitting there thinking, but look, like, how do you justify him basically being a, a jerk? And then, of course. And he's know, probably, what, five foot eight? Yeah, he said he's five nine, apparently. In one of his sermons where he was talking smack, but I, yeah, again, here I am as a, probably at that point, 30-year-old black youth pastor 
recognizing that the likelihood and the chances of me as a black pastor speaking to white kids and or their parents in that way would not go down Absolutely well. not. <laughs> like, bro, just... <laughs> You don't know how many times I was corrected for just being animated and passionate. Hey, you know, Sanchez, can you know, you can turn it down, tone it down just a little bit. You know, it's not about you. you right, know, a little, right. You know, yeah, just need yeah. you to be, it's not the Sanchez show. Just right. be a little bit more, more we, humble. Right. We want you to, yeah. So Shoot, yeah. I got a, I got a, it wasn't a direct, but basically it was like, because, you know, I can preach. And I can sing, but basically it was a, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a very passive aggressive way of saying, hey, doing both on the same Sunday is a little much. It's a little showy. Oh, gosh. Recently? Oh, no, no. This was years ago. Okay. Years okay. ago. Okay. Nowadays, psh, I mean, Taryn's like, hey, you're preaching. Let's get you on a song too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, man. And but go figure. It's from a female worship pastor in a not evangelical place. But anyway, right. Well, there you have it. And so, yeah, I um, I think the podcast is worth is worth listening to. Um, I, I'm gonna probably listen to it twice. And because again, I think as I was listening to the first couple episodes, I was like, yeah, like this all it makes total sense to me. Uh, that when it comes to the trauma, the the formation, and then you know reevaluating how I I was influenced by it and what mm-hmm. what it did for me personally and my approach. But I think you just brought up a great point. Like I could never do what he did and make as much money as he did, and, yeah. and have that what fifteen thousand people come and, to a church. And that's not to say that there aren't black pastors in predominantly white evangelical spaces or. <laughs> Places that are optically diverse, but uh, institutionally are steeped in whiteness. white whiteness. Um, it's not to say that there aren't churches out there led by black men who do maybe a light version of that. Number one, I would say they are the outliers. And number two, I would say a lot of that same like misogyny. And branding and oh, wait. toughness is say, behind is behind like, oh, closed do, do, doors. Do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know who, who oh, yeah, yeah, brought yeah. it to my attention? Who? Eric, our friend of the show, Eric Hodge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh, uh-huh. yeah. uh huh. That, that's where my mind went. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm I'm not about to debate with you because you you would know better than me. But I mean, there's other there's other examples. Yeah. Out there too. I would just argue that they are outliers. They are yeah. an anomalies for other variables outside that have a way of transcending race. Yeah, but I would also, especially thinking through a few different cases, these individuals, these minorities, are also not in tune with their racial identity either. If that makes sense. Yeah, they're not, and yet. In some ways, in some ways, I wasn't either to be fair, or I was just very careful about giving voice to it. Exactly, and and also what I what I would mean by that is like, 
Um, whether it's the utter, like, I don't want anything to do with it, or like, I fall into the racist ideas, or I believe the racist ideas and stereotypes of black people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not that I'm disassociating, you know, yeah, from it. I'm, however, I'm the exception to the rule. Right. However, I want to use it to my advantage when people want to bring me in as the only black guy, or people want to bring me in mm-hmm. to X, Y, and Z. And so, um, yeah. Because at first I was like, I can't think, I don't know if I can think of any black pastors that, all right, I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, Sanchez, don't overthink it, <laughs> don't overthink it. Yeah. So, but, um, but anyways, I, 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 th- I mean, I thought the podcast was well done um, production wise. Um, yeah. I, you know, I saw, I saw the, I, I was able to follow the flow and form. Um, I, I'm curious about episode five and six. What yeah. Take it. So, five goes deep on the whole, on Marcel and Driscoll when it comes to women and women being in that space. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, which was a really, really good episode. I mean, the, 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 the women that they interviewed to contribute to some of the content were excellent. They've, they've popped up already, but they get a little bit more time in that episode. And then episode yeah. six... It's all about branding, which, Lord have mercy. I, again, just one of those things that as I'm listening to this, I'm just sitting there thinking I was in the orbit of all these movements. While I had no proximity to Driscoll whatsoever, I didn't read any of his books. I didn't watch the stuff on YouTube. I didn't you know, listen to the sermons. You didn't watch The Elephant Room, bro? I watched The Elephant Room because we went to... Um, one of the Elephant Room things that Elevation them, hosted. They put them live last year because right. they took them down right. for years. And yeah, they finally, we we went as a staff to one that they had at Elevation yeah. Valentine Campus. Yeah, but that was so long. I mean, even then, again, I'm just like these guys that they have up on stage. Uh huh. Would it kill them to find, uh, I don't know, some unknown at a small church? No, nope. nope, they can't do it. Right, because... And, uh, my problem with it is one episode I watched, like they brought T.D. Jakes on there to just grill him and hammer him on theology. Mm-hmm. And he responded, and he smashed. <laughs> yeah. He smashed. Because, because for him, it was about oneness theology, which folks don't probably know anything about, but from the black tradition, it's a yeah. spinoff of... Pentecostal holiness and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Again, my, my just, I, I just remember even then having a sour taste in my mouth for all, a yeah. lot of the stuff that was going on, a lot of the stuff that they'd talk about in that podcast that I'm just like, that's not, number one, who I am, and number two, that's not who I want to be. Right. And so let me ask you this, um, because this is a question that I, I wrestle with. When it comes to folks, so say you have these leaders that, you know, cause a lot of trauma, hurt, pain, mm-hmm. frustration that that has impacted individual lives. And they come out and like, like apologize. How do you do with or how do you think people should? Because this is a question that not only for myself that I'm curious about that I've been thinking through, but I've had a lot of friends. Like, how do you reckon with folks that tend to want you to focus on the apologies and where they are now and disregard the experience in the process? You know what I'm saying? Um, so 
let's take uh, Driscoll, for example. Right. Because I think he's done that. And after this podcast, Man, he hasn't? No. He started blocking people uh, on Twitter. He's back in another church in another part of the country doing the same stuff he was doing before. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Ain't nothing changed. Nothing has changed. No, he gave that brief general, That's you know, apology before he even left. I'm sorry. You was going to submit to, you know, the leadership or the elders, but then, you know, quit and cried victim. Yeah. So no, yeah. If he let's let's well, let's take him for example. In. He shouldn't have any part of making some kind of public social media apology. If anything, a real repentance should be the kind of thing that most of us don't even really hear about because he goes back to the communities where he traumatized people and apologized to those people directly. Who are you talking about? I don't, you, I mean like just Driscoll, for example. No, I'm saying who do you talk about that does that? Oh, I'm not saying anybody does. Oh, oh, okay. I'm saying hypothetically. Because oh, my mind went to, uh, I was trying to recall some Jay-Z lyrics. Oh. Of him, like, having to actually go back and yeah. folks and, you know. My, I'm, I'm just speaking you know, hypothetically. I'm with, you, I'm, with you, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, okay, pop culture example. Um, uh, oh, it's not so, as good as it gets. Um, it's, the, it's the other Nancy Myers movie with Jack Nicholson. And um, something's got to give. Oh, yeah. Right? How he's this this older guy who dates a lot of younger women. He's never been married, but he just has this thing that women are attracted to him, but the relationships don't last that long. And then he has that heart attack. And after the heart attack, the second heart attack, or panic attack, sorry, when things just kind of blow up in his face with his relationship with Diane Keaton's character... And, and there's that whole sequence near the end of the movie where he basically goes back and tries to find all the women that he dated mm. and apologize to them, but then also hear yeah. what they have to say. That's what it should look like. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't yeah. be this post on Facebook or yeah. Twitter because what's that going to mean to the people that you actually really hurt? That you've right. done this kind of emotional and spiritual violence to. Yeah. yeah, and I think that comes down to it, it's the sphere and universe that these guys live on that where there's no accountability. You know, like there's no accountability. Like for him to be doing the same thing and leading a church again, like clearly there was no accountability. Same with... Uh, in, in one of our podcasts, you know, we either talked about or we'll talk about with uh, Vody Bakum um, and his plagiarism <coughs> in his book, Fault Lines, and his uh, misquoting CRT. But guess what? There's no accountability. Yeah, but that one's early. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it is. We'll see what it happens. Is, it is fair. Because, you know, look, well, you and I both know. They're going to hang that Negro out to dress up. I'm sorry. It, well, no, I, I wasn't going to say it like that, but basically, yeah, that. Yeah. If there's going to be somebody, they, they will have an easier time letting a black guy who they basically just use to, 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 to project their yep. racist ideas and say, well, say he, he said it, so it must be true yep. kind of thing, while ignoring all these other yep. black Christian voices. 
or what well well or if there's major scrutiny well he said that you know we just you know i didn't that those weren't my words. no they'll, they'll disavow him real quick uh-huh, uh-huh. They'll, they'll have an easier time disavowing him uh-huh. um then he maybe even realizes yeah, yeah so but do i feel bad for him nope hell no thank you for listening to talking confession mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll catch y'all soon <laughs>